Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 70 with... Joseph Makos and... Joseph Bievin. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So here we are. We're on St. Claude. We're actually in the print shop today, sitting around the drafting table. The hum of uh, lights and printers in the background and the crank of a letterpress, maybe some faint music off in the kitchen. Um, But we're back in this kind of overcast, rainy day. Um, And we are back for another episode called Six Poets That You May Have Never Heard Of may not have heard of. I know, I always mess it up, sorry. And, and as we always do when we do six posts, we have a guest. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Hello. guest today. <laughs> do you want to introduce yourself? I, I'm Caroline Zimmer. <laughs> and that that's, that's, that's my name. That's my name. You don't, you, don't, you don't want to give any... I'm a poet in New Orleans, <laughs> a lifelong resident of the French Quarter, and a bartender, and a poet enthusiast <laughs> right awesome no that's nice it seems like you're it seems like you're uh like you just have like a natural inclination to being poet huh it seems I guess like so. it seems like it <laughs> well i hope so i hope so where are you drawing your insp- where are you drawing inspiration from right now i'm just curious uh, right now, I mean, you know, this doing this podcast, uh, I really, you know, the first poet that I'm probably going to talk about has really um, made me think about words and mashing words together. And I've been trying to write a little poem to her and her being uh, Hannah Weiner. Yeah. Yeah, that's the most recent source of inspiration, probably. Well, we might as well get right into it. You want to tell us a little bit about Hannah Weiner? I would love to. I adore Hannah Weiner. That's number one. And uh, she was born in 1928, died in 1997, uh, post-New York school poet, one of the language poets. She uh, suffered from schizophrenia pretty severely uh, her whole life, and she saw words on curtains and on her toes and on her forehead and on other people and she writes a lot about that um her clairvoyant journals are you know her most uh well-known stuff along with her code poems uh her clairvoyant journals really document her life seeing words and hearing voices and she was a lingerie designer and she did a lot of performance art at first I can read, um, she has a little statement about her, one of her first shows in the early 70s that I can read really quick. Uh, Miss Weiner explains her show as follows. My life is my art. I am my object, a product of the process of self-awareness. I work part-time as a designer of ladies' underwear to help support myself. I like my job in the firm I work for. They make and sell a product without unnecessary competition. The people in the firm are friendly and fun to work with. The bikini pants I sell for 49 cents and $1. If things can't be free, they should be cheap as possible. (laughs) Why waste time and energy to make expensive products that you waste time and energy to afford? Art is live people. Self-respect is a job if you need it. 
On third Wednesday evenings, I will be at my studio where I work. My boss, Simon Schreiber, will be with me. There will be bikini underpants for sale at the usual prices, and one made especially for this show by August Fabrics and A.H. Schreiber, to whom I am grateful. So that's her little statement for her performance art pieces that uh, started her career. Her uh, more severe psychotic and schizophrenic breaks happened later. At some point, she went on a retreat in order to see the words that she saw more clearly, which uh, worked for her. And uh, the Clairvoyant Journal, she deals with, I have, I have some notes because I forget how she differentiates between her various uh, voices. There are usually three or four, and the first voice is in capitals, and that voice gives advice. The second voice is uh, an ironic voice, and she doesn't really go into any more detail about that, but the second voice is the ironic voice, and that's in uh, italics. The third is the collective consciousness, and that's in underlines. And then the fourth is her own voice, talking about, you know, whatever she's doing. And it's all, you know, it's very mixed up. She does a lot with, um, you know, the letters on the page being slanted in circles, like, very, very big and bold, you know. They're, they're poems for the eye, so I don't know. Y'all can maybe get a picture. Yeah, that'd be good. Of to some put of these are, are just, you know, mm -hmm. amazing to look at and um, incredibly hard to read. Uh, the poem, I think I'm going to stick to one because it's pretty long. The one I'm going to read from is uh, written by Paul the Polar Bear. And Paul the Polar Bear was a polar bear who lived in a bunk bed in her forehead. And there's a really, um, a really hilarious interview with her and Charles Bernstein, uh, who's asking her about uh, what Paul symbolizes, what Paul represents, like what's her goal, like what's she trying to achieve with Paul. And she, she pretty much says, no, Charles, Paul is Paul. He's a polar bear and he lives in my head. And sometimes he's 10 feet tall. Sometimes he wears a leather vest. You know, sometimes he goes on cruises. <laughs> and I think before before I read it, I um, one of the really beautiful things about her work, especially when she's uh, talking about Paul or one of the poems that is written by Paul, is the level of affection between um, these two uh, voices. And um, there's a lot of really long from Paul. There are a lot of these really long, like twenty something letter words that I've had to phonetically translate with sticky notes on the side and they remind me of like um things that you know loved ones would say to one another like pet names like that kind of stuff that level of just like intimacy that you can have with someone where you make up your own little words and like you know it's very it's very cute it's very sweet but um I guess I guess I'm gonna read it now uh it's called two Herpetutimus, written by Paul the Polar Bear, and it's from <laughs> We Speak Silent. Magnum P.I. This section is dedicated to our honest typewriter, Higgins. I dare say I should not reply. Marm, where's my intramonium speech? Ma, I'm applauded everywhere when I give my intramonium speech. Ma, please, my instructions are to write down certain words to introduce us in tratification. Who's Henry, Ma? Henry is the guard, Pa. Magnum. Higgins, Higgins, listen, Higgins, we may just sneak in. Magnum.
Courtesy, you know. Higgins, Higgins, we can begin again. Higgins. It has been updated prematurely. Ma, please, preponderon erosimus. Ma, this is a good program to snoogle up with. Marm, please, epidermiscrum. I guess that cancels that page. Never morasterous. No, Marm, that's consideration effectiveness. I didn't get a chance. Ma, say simple. Breviousness. Ma, please don't listen if I'm terasillimus. Flaw. I'm learning. I'm studying to be a great big novelermist. Ma, I changed it. I want to be a poetastermus. Ma, you don't discuss Turgamus. There are six of us. We had already planned a great big wedding, Ma. Terrilified. Grass all over you, I presume. Higgins. A harrowing was held by all at the recollection brouhaha, Ma. Tattered and torn. Shulf. Ma, please. Orgasms and writing a literary quarterly, a pamphlet for everyone, side saddlebag, street sale, obligatory demand. Very successful enterprise, Ma. Ma, the wedding, please. I was received by all of them. Duplicit Deuteronomus. The Bible, heck. Ma, who said line two above? Obsmit. No, Ma, we don't submit, we just print. You are giving prose line away. Ma, please, there are six pairs of print color stockings. Where shall I hang them? Stutter. Ma, please, it isn't like that, really, at least after the first four or five hours or days. Pa, please, a circlet of Lily of the Valley. Who's wearing it? I am, Ma. Well, dear, at least we know who the bridegroom is. Ma, please, I'm entirely weariless. No, Ma, I'm shocked. Higgins, somewhat tired. Ma, that's all of us. I lay my head down on the immediate and suffered malcros. Who, Ma? Ma, please, the wedding. Thanks for the cheese and crackers. Several saliva wedding tests have to be made. Ma, am I still drooling? Magnum. No wonder he's getting married. Free love circle and all that. The stockings are hung. Serve pizza, Ma. Peter, do you want to eat? No, I'm astral. Face reality. Ma, he doesn't pretend or amorous. The defense of the allotteriate. Ma, there were some other desultory idiosyncrasies. Higgins. I said go back. James would start a new book right away. Der Perfume for from. Ma, six people at one wedding are a little hard to manage. Tersum pants. Ma, cheat. Tushy mushy mush. The wedding bra. Is that a necessity? Black lace. Harumph. Ma, someone is spoiling this scenario. Can we borrow your lily white skirmus? Tersa lamaramamus. Persid fluus grouse in his motor. Ma, are we hiring a car? I love you. I always will, too. Ma, bullshit. Tyretimus Malgamerstron. Ma, some people fall out of love in two days. Ma, who is printing the little letters? Ma, bliss, does it come before the wedding night, during it, or after the wedding, Ma? It's almost celestial happening. Write it down, I'm very happy. Pa, how many girls are there? Only four or five. Remember, six in the party. Ma, they took your white lace bra and are printing on your face. Anyone can attend, Ma. Very well. We should make a list. No, Ma, please not another. Urglemush. Ma, we took the black lace one, too. Er, delusions of virility, virginity, and plausible claws. Ma, please, virginity, I don't want an unused, too many complaints. Harumph, garumph, I am not mentioned. Don't tease her, Ma. Put her name in Noah. A visitation from abroad. No, Ma, all are welcome. Please face the hardships of a full living room. Terillimus. 
Ma, I'm really a very happy woman when I live downtown with you. Well, dear, it just sucks that Pa is floralist. No, Ma, I'm embarrassed. Ma, quick, it's a hazelnut story. Write everything down was down with Fidel Castro. Imagine, Ma, a limousine car at the plane for me alone. Higgins. A more thing, a vast irresponsible. No, Ma, if I use only adjectives, no one can tell the truth. Ma, please, a limousine car for myself would fit seven turpitude. Close quarters, Ma. Ma, I'm pleased to death your litter germanus. Ma, the wedding, shall I postpone it because of the Fidel Castro infidel? I'm almost a millionaire when I come back, Ma. Cuban cigars are a ration item. Ma, please don't overreact if I come back poor. I may give it all back to the people. Ma, please, we really have a narrative or a movie script, and I wrote it myself. Scurrifless storm, self-same, Ma, who put in that N-word? Well, we have hit the bottom, Ma. Castro definitely doesn't believe in wedding parties. Arumph, garumph. Too strict for infidels. Please, Ma, I'm almost detained at the port, illegal cigar holding, even if I clip the ends off as if they were my own. Well, Ma, if the ship sh sails, should I be on it? Ma, the agitators do. They drink like everyone else. Ergerglurslimus. Ma, please, the cigar box they gave you when you leave has only one cigar in it per person for me. They like such a mess, Ma, to make you feel good. Where can I buy some for the wedding party? Pa, at the corner store, little ones. Ma, the interference is treacherous. Please remember I'm skirmus, wearisome. Who used a real word to describe Ma? We didn't plan to have such a large wedding party, Ma, but there are 14 bridegroom alternates. Ma, what's an alternate? Someone to drive the bride away. Figure it out, Ma. We are all bonded in wedding bliss already. Well, dear, if I were getting married, I would be in a tither and a tather, and Pa is flirting with two new girls. Tomorrow or Terillimus. Sign, Terillimus. Signing off, Pa. Well, the wedding party is in the living room. Pshaw. <laughs> so, that's wow. Terpitudimus. <laughs> written by Pa the Polar Bear. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I've always was attracted to uh, Hannah Weiner because there was like this sort of like fictional other world. I, like, okay, she, it's, it's not fictional. It's, it, it's her. It's her. Right. <laughs> but it's this otherworldly like um, journey, you know. And and I think it's like one of these things where like it, when 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 you read her work and you and you read like a bunch of it, like twenty pieces or a book. You have to like go back to the beginning and start again. You know, it's mm -hmm. almost like it's almost like the rules she, she kind like, of develop yes. as you go. Like there are these yes. there are these these laws that uh, exist in her in her internal world, and it's not it doesn't exclude like moments of uh, self judgment, and it's all very self aware too. And it's an it's an interesting how she balances that. It's you like multi dimensional to me. Yeah, you, like, you wouldn't you wouldn't really call it uh, surreal. And what's super interesting, too, is, you know, you think about her and how uh, debilitating, you know, her, her, you know, psychic condition was. And, you know, she talks about it a lot in her clairvoyant journals, just about, you know, doing very simple things. And, you know, the difficulty in that is, you know, super clear in her work, but the tone never really, um, it doesn't really go into any sort of despair. It's very, um, it's, it's heroic you know how she talks about uh just doing these simple things and it's very brave too to sort of let everything go 
Yeah, I think you said it earlier, you said it's not surreal. It's more like prismatic. It's more like mm-hmm. looking through the world through these different sort of like slants and then right. each one has its own voice that could, comes with right. it. Right, and she she saw um, which, like energy fields too later in her life. Um, you know, the hallucinatory uh, stuff that she was dealing with as far as seeing words really expanded to, to seeing dimensions and stuff like that well in the one you read though yeah i mean it's which maybe makes it even more amazing though but then at the same time she's got this these like very complex wordplay things going on like with the with the made-up words sure i mean i didn't even catch all of them doing it but like the deuteronomous and then and then making the and then and then making the bible thing after yeah the bible thing um, right after poetastromous Poetastomus. I wrote that one down. Yeah, novelermist. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, studying, I'm studying to be a great big novelermist. Novelermist. <laughs> no, I changed it. Yeah, but a lot of it has these like I mean pretty, pretty it's, it's impressive skillful. intellectual it's, it is, things there, going it's, on it's, in, it's inside of that. Yeah, right, right. It's not. She's not just like riding the wave of you know like. A flight of ideas, or, or you know, just a sim. You know, it's it's not simple. Yeah. Um, her whole, her whole thing. It's very, and you know, it's 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 pretty unbelievable. You know, in the interview I spoke about earlier, you know, Charles Bernstein does not. Uh, he doesn't quite buy it. You know, he doesn't quite buy that. <laughs> Paul is just Paul, and her words are just her words because it is so impressive. You know, but I, it's it's very natural. Yeah, yeah. So if someone was if someone was going to begin, they haven't read any of her work. Where would be a good place to start? Well, m- almost all of her stuff has been out of print uh, for a very long time. But the book I'm reading from right now is called Open House, and uh, it's it's a really nice uh, collection of her work. I'm I'm gonna flip and it's bigger. See. I, it's I got, meant, it's I meant got some visual earlier. stuff through it. We're just, yeah, just describing pictures, it a little bit. And he tried, the guy who put this together tried his best to, um, a lot, a lot of it has to be recreated, you know, because it was all on the typewriter and she had these huge sheets and those were her, her, her fields sort of to plant these, these, all these words and, you know, organize them how, how she meant to. And, he does an incredible job of recreating that, and um, yeah, this. Well, let me see who put this out. Yes, yeah, so there's visual work, and then there's like typewriter work, and there's photography. A beautiful picture beautiful of her picture, on the cover yeah. too, and it's it's not it's not easy to find uh, pictures of her. Um, Kenning Editions, KenningEditions.com, and um, yes, it's called Open House, and it's a it's a great. We'll put shape. a picture of it's that up, big, so maybe yeah. it's a little easier to find. But <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> well, nice. Yeah, and you know she's she's just she's she's incredible, and um, yeah, it has it has uh, stuff from pretty much all of her various uh, literary projects crammed into it. I like it. I think it's a great. No, it, it, it's, it's inspiring. I'm glad. I, yeah, I, I it was. I've always inspired by her writing. Like to, you know, not not to like be schizophrenic, but to you know to like <laughs> you know to like to well like to push into new fields. I don't know. Yeah. Just to find yeah. the weird odd those odd spaces that can be found. Sure. Through that, like 
sort sure. of like idea of like yeah you know, synesthesia is like when musicians hear, hear they hear colors right right you know so this is like in a way like like that she see mm-hmm. she saw word you know yeah so to me there's like there's something really neat i mean you know, aside from the fact that it was like um, a terrible life that she lived and she struggled with this whole her whole life, right. she turned it into well, this poetic expression, which is intense. Of course, of course, like um, it is, it is. You know, it's it's not great to have a, a any debilitating disease of any kind, but she she makes it she makes it great. <laughs> you know, she makes it, she you you envy you know the richness of just like every every moment of her life. With all the words on the curtains and her, you know, shirt and her, you know, photographs in the house, all the words on them at all times, and you know, it's um, it's 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 very interesting. She's a great great lady, great poet. She definitely created a world within that thing that's completely unique in and of itself. I don't think there's any writer quite like, quite quite like her. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> but speaking of another writer that has some surrealist or like some uh uh what was it like um uh out there <laughs> oh i can do that one i was gonna do that one i can make a better transition but yeah. well, you're gonna do that one next it seems like a good thing. i can do that one i was gonna do that in the other episode but i can do that with this yeah so uh one of the poets i had today although i guess is maybe as famous as a painter as he is as a poet is Henri Michaud, but this book in particular is a really neat book. It's three books together. It's it's uh, put out by City Lights. It's called Thousand Times Broken. Uh, but it's three books that he wrote all when he was doing his mescaline experiments. So Henri Michaud was a pretty prolific poet and, and artist. He did, he did a lot of works. But... Um, He, so he was originally born in Belgium, and then he went on these travels through South America and Tibet and into Asia and all this stuff when, when he was in his 20s and 30s to try to do this kind of, like, research into mysticism, and that was a lot of what where his work was coming out of. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Magos, you, you said surrealism, and, I mean, he's always kind of, like, on the edges of surrealism, but he's not really a surrealist either. No, he's no. kind of just in that fringe of things. But he did move to Paris and was kind of around as a lot of that stuff was was going on. But this book in particular, unfortunately what happened was uh, in 1948, his wife died because her nightgown caught fire. And he was really depressed about that, so he started doing mescaline to try to, like, just escape his feelings about that. And part of the result of that was these three books um, that he published. He didn't publish them until quite a bit later on in the the late 50s. And he also uh, did a bunch of shows of paintings in the late 50s, but they were all kind of inspired by this uh this experimentation he did with mescaline and they can be pretty dark at times um because he was in kind of a dark place and i I think mescaline's kind of a, a dark drug to take too at times but but there's really interesting things in it you know i'm gonna again have to post some things along with this uh the uh, the last of the three books but for some reason is the first one in this book 
called Peace in the Breaking begins with these dr these drawings that he did, and they're really neat. They and they kind of become more ghostly till at the end they almost sort of start disappearing and become. But they're these sort of they're almost like totemic in some way. They're really neat. Um, but then the poem is in the shape almost of the way that the the drawings are in that book. Like the poem that goes into the book is like kind of shaped in a similar way. He right. he did something with that to try to make it go along with the with the drawings. I was when I was looking a little more into into this stuff, I found this really cool essay from Octavio Paz about about this those particular works. So this is a, this is a quote from that. Forms, ideas, and sensations intertwine as though they were a single dizzyingly proliferating entity. In a certain sense, the sketches, far from being illustrations of the written word or a sort of commentary, the rhythm and movement of the lines bring to mind a kind of curious musical notation, except we are confronted not with a method of recording sounds, but with vortexes, gashes, interweavings of being, incisions in the bark of time, halfway between the ideograph and the magical sign, characters and forms more palpable than legible. These sketches are a criticism of poetic and pictorial writing, that is to say, a step beyond the sign and the image, something transcending words and lines. Which I thought was pretty neat. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a pretty good book, book blurb. <laughs> I would be. <laughs> you write me one like that someday, you know, when, I, when I finally come out with a book. All right, when, when you release your mescaline... My mescaline poems? Yeah. <laughs> but, right. so, I, I really did want to read part of that one, but... I can't read the whole thing because it's a it's one of these very long poems, but it is is a neat one. I thought maybe just read a selection of it. So I'll just I don't know maybe the beginning and stop when it feels like a good spot on it. Peace in the breaking. Space coughed up on me. Then I no longer exist. The skies roll their eyes. The eyes that say nothing and don't know much. From a thousand crushings crushed, extended to infinity. Witness of infinity infinite all the same, set to infinity, native land that offers, that doesn't use my two hands, but that grinds up a thousand hands, that I recognize yet do not know, that embraces me and through mixing abstracts me from myself, opens me up and assimilates me to the swarm I return. Thousands of swallow's wings tremble across my life, prism, I settle into the prism, I dwell there, time of solemnity, I receive the waves that bring indifference, impure and precarious. The small life withdraws from the life pushed by ghosts against me. Burrow, the split form of an immense being, accompanies me and is my sister. I listen to the thousands of leaves, the overly acute impression of my displeasure accompanies the overly acute impression of my pleasure of the vertiginous pleasure, of pleasure at its most extreme, a desire for union, oh, that desire for union, fluid, fertile, double of the double, double of any redoubling, open petals, petals without an end, perfumed with the perfume of the unsayable, the flower of the perpetual, fountains, the pulse of the window awakens, the luminous pulse of the break of day, Dazzling, dazzling, shot in the head, silent fire of photons, white lightning, prolonged lightning, endless lightning, chills, immense environs, gusts, violet gusts, 
gusts against the bird in a high space under my open forehead. Suddenly I see rising themselves in tears, rising themselves, rising themselves to infinity, angularly, 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 enormous, giant, flamboyant, gothic monuments, fussing, exasperated maniacs of acceleration, of gothic stabs, of gothic scales, of gothic ballistics, gothic jet, discomfort, crystals now, and slender little columns. Ridiculous. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, and I did neglect to say, but the, the translator of this is the poet Gillian Connolly, who's very good, too. But this is, I mean, I really lo love this translation, too. It's wonderful. Um, and it does have the French on the side for our people oh, who read French. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, it's like, oh, it's just a whirlwind. Yeah. It not, is. Yeah. It's not exact. It's, I don't know. It's not exactly, like, trippy either. There, there are moments of, like, um, I mean, it's, it's, all, it's, all very, um, it's all very clear. It is of, pretty like, clear, there's yeah. A, there's a trajectory, and there's this, like, feeling of, like, moving up and up and up, you know? But it seems like, and maybe I'm also thinking of, like, the other ones in connection with this, but I do think there's this kind of trippy aspect of, like, being confronted with the kind of immensity of, of the universe that you get from a sure, trip, right? Like, sure. this kind of thing, and mm -hmm. that it's inside of you, too, that you can't <laughs> escape it, right? Like, yeah. that kind of thing seems to be going on in his poems. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's something, there's something there. It's like in and out, in and out of uh, this sort of consciousness. You know, it's like there's moments of clarity, but then there's moments of like. Yeah, it touches really well on the sort of the uh, like psychedelic fixations that like one yeah. gets to. And it's interesting. Yeah, the repetition. How long is that one? Right. Nice. Yeah. Um, it keeps going for about. I mean, it's long. It keeps going for another. 20 pages or so. Yeah, so, oh, shit, so it's that long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was a good... I mean, they're short lines. Like, that was maybe four pages, right? But, yeah, it, it's quite a bit longer. Yeah, and I mean, all of these books... He also plays with this thing. Like, some things are practically prose, but I think they're really supposed to be poems. There's this kind of genre bending going on, too. And then, then he has this one book, which is... Amazing. You'd like this, Omegos. 400 Men on the Cross. And it's all like playing on this crucifixion idea. So then, but then the poems are shaped in different ways, like crosses, like well, some more literally, but then it starts getting into things that are maybe less literal. Like, I like these when it starts getting oh, like, yeah. like arms yeah. coming out and like, <laughs> they're pretty great. And, but they're neat. These are neat too, in like a whole different way, and it's just this sort of like playing with the idea of crucifixion. But he's pretty playful with it at the same time. Um, these are just two two random ones in the middle. They're all numbered for some reason. Oh, I guess because of the four hundred men thing. Ninety seven. Curious devotion. The cross was in danger of falling apart. Seems certain to let go. Without his arms, which in a crazy idea of sacrifice or by a reflex misplaced, held firm the rotten wood and saved the cross and the ceremony and the holocaust, thereby answering materially what was expected of him. 99. 
not on, but in the cross, inside whose bars he allows himself to be observed, as though in a prison cell, indifferent in one way, torn away in another. Fat the cross is, paunchy, as if to say many future crosses it was giving birth. He is inside at the very bottom, small, shrunken, disclaimed, erased, almost imperceptible. Hmm. And that one's almost a little more concepty. And like, and that last, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was. And then the last one, like, I don't even know how to read that because that last stanza or whatever is actually nestled in between. <laughs> the uh, there's no way to to read it in the correct order. I guess it's like inside the other bit in its kind of cross shape. I don't even know. Dark. <laughs> How you're supposed to read it. Um, it. But they're pretty neat, you know? Uh, yeah, and then you get ones like this where some stuff's written one direction and some's written the other. Wow. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And there's, yeah, so, I mean, and I mean, obviously he was a painter, but that, that's another really neat stuff about his work. Is he, he's playing with the visual idea of poetry, which I think poets don't always do so much, right? To play, play around with that is always fun. Yeah, well, I've got uh, another. another, well, another well, what's interesting, what's interesting is, yeah, I'm gonna. My, my topic today is gonna is uh, two poem, two poets that come in are actual painters that uh, it's sort of like, you know, people you maybe you've never heard of, but people. Have well, heard you've of heard of Paul, them as painters. People have heard of Paul Clay, parents. but no one knows, really knows that Paul Clay is actually like a poet as well. Swiss German-born, you know, painter influencing, like. Uh, expressionism, cubism. Uh, he was a surrealist. You know, uh, he was contemporaries of uh, Kandinsky, and you know, he was a color theorist. Theorist, and there was a play there. And I think, like a lot of poet or a lot of painters. Oh, he has that awesome book. Yes, the notebooks, that, the Paul Clay notebooks. Yeah, that are like art theory, and they're yeah. amazing. It's still, I think, one of the best things I've ever seen of yeah. demonstrating all those ideas. Yeah, color theory. Uh, next mm. to Joseph Albers, has also got some cool-ass color theory books and stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, there's so we know you know we know Clay as through his um, through his through his printing or through his uh, painting. Sorry, and uh, I mean a fascinating painter and really like high sort of concept. Um, work, you know, that sort of comes in a little ahead of its time, um, a little, a little more renegade, or a little bit more, you know, uh, he was, he was a, um, you know, he was, he was really like an avant-gardist, you know, in a certain way. Um, and of course, with Kandinsky, he was, he was, he taught the Bauhaus, and he was, um, you know, a real, real important uh, contributor to that, that uh, sort of architectural aspect. But he's got some work. He's got some uh, poems. And I'm pulling today some works from the Poems from the Millennium, which is the, you know, big giant book of postmodern and postmodern poetry that comes from Rothenberg and Joris, oh, yeah. uh, which is this, there's two, there's actually a third one that I don't have, but there's these two volumes. But it's cool because there's a lot of uh, painters here, and I'm going to tackle another painter later, but I'm going to read you some work um, from, uh, from, from him right now. I'm going to read you three pieces of two medium-sized pieces and one, one longer piece. Uh, the Wolf Speaks. The wolf speaks while chewing a man addressing himself to the dogs. Tell me where, then, is... Tell me where, then, is there God? Where is there God after this? Here you can see him. 
in the dust at your feet, the God of the dogs, to see and to know is one, is that who has been torn by me is no God. Where then is their God? Another little short piece that I like here is this one just called Poem. I stand in full armor, I am not here. I stand in the depths, I stand far, I stand very far. I glow with the dead. And maybe something less somber, but just equally as somber. Uh, the, the happy one. No, I'm just kidding. This is, a good, this is a good one. The happy one. The happy one who is almost an idiot, everything, blossoms, bears fruit for him. He stands on this little acre, one hand holding a watering pot, the other pointing at himself, at the navel of this world. Verdure and blossom, boughs heavy with fruit, bend down above him. The big animals despondent at table, unsated, but all the small cunning flies scrambling up slopes of bread, inherited butter town. There is only one true thing. In the self await a small stone, an eye that sees another eye that feels. Man animal, clock of blood, the moon in the railway station, one of the many lights in the forest, a drop in the mountain's beard, that it doesn't trickle, that it is not pierced by the cactus thorn, that you do not sneeze and burst this bladder. So yeah, I think like it's it's cool to read work of a of an artist that you that you are into, you know, and, and is, is there yeah. any visual aspect to those or no there visual more aspect like, yeah. at all, no. And I and I wonder where this you know, where this work sort of comes from. Um I'd like to read a little bit more into it and find out more about uh, his writing and if he actually published books, poems, which I don't think he probably did, but... I think it's like, especially with the Cubists, right? Marginalia and things that he created was... Well, but, I, you know, I mean... Working I, through when he was working on pieces. But, no, but I also think they just all experimented with that, right? Like, you think of... There's other Cubist painters who, who tried their hand at poetry, and I feel like a lot of the poets of that time would also try their hand at art. I think it was kind of this idea of, like, you needed to be playing in all of those pools, right? Like, you needed to kind of mm. try things out to understand your painting. Maybe, you know, writing sure. some poetry might maybe make you understand your yeah, painting better and vice versa. You that know? second one was really something. Yeah. And you think of it, you think about looking at it like the last, like, I glow with the dead and, like, visually what that looks like as far as, like, his artwork, you know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, and I think I think that there were these sort of bridges for these painters that they that they you know maybe they become maybe they became famous as painters, whereas like some of the painters became famous as poets, and like some of the poets were painters too. And I, I, we did talk about this in a previous episode where I where I pulled from the um, the Cubist Poets of Paris book, and that was interesting learning about how they all interacted. So like what what you said, Joseph is like yeah, with, they were all playing around in the print shops yeah. and they were all doing the things, and so of course the painters would dabble in and poetry. they had their salon the culture going on totally. too, which is part of that, right? Like, so yeah, because this could have been just like some drunken salon poetry. It's like yeah, yeah could but be it's better some scraps than, that made it. Be. Right? It's better than some people who their main thing is poetry. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. It's still yeah. cool. <laughs> Well, Poems for Millennium is definitely... There's a lot of fun stuff like that to check out in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really treasures. Yeah, it's good stuff. There's so much to dig through. Um, which I think our, our your next poet might actually maybe be in this first one. 
I think perhaps. Is that so? Maybe, but yeah, you introduce, please. Yeah, well, I don't know how obscure he is, and this is definitely going to be a very uh, earthy break, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about Richard Hugo for a little bit. And um, he died of leukemia in 82, and I think was also born in uh, 1928 or 1929, uh, 1923, sorry, and uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, he fought in the war and got back and studied creative writing, taught at uh, the University of Montana for a long time. Uh, he wrote a pretty well-respected book on writing. I still uh, use it. Triggering with, I still use it with all my creative writing right. students. Oh, That's, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it goes over well still, even now. I mean, it's it, it's timeless. Yeah, it's, it's a classic. It's a classic. And um, yeah, I don't think this podcast is really like for classics, but it's one of my favorites. And I think you know, if there's anybody who doesn't know about him, you know, they they should. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I'm gonna read. Uh, I'll read two of his. Two of his uh, pretty popular ones. Uh, he wrote a lot of like epistolary stuff too, which is which is really cool. I'm not going to read and uh, any of those. I'm just I'm gonna stick to the ones I already picked, even though his 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 letter poems are are really uh, fantastic. But this is the Milltown Union Bar. You could love here, not the lovely goat in plexiglass, nor the elk shot in the middle of a joke but honest drunks, cross swords above the bar, three men hung in the bad painting, others riding off on the phony green horizon. The owner, fresh from orphan wars, loves too, but bad as you. He keeps improving things, but can't cut the bodies down. You need never leave. Money or a story brings you booze. The elk is grinning and the goat says go so tenderly you hear him through the glass. If you weep, deer heads weep. Sing and the orphanage announces plans for your release. A train goes by and ditches jump. You were nothing going in and now you kiss your hand. When mills shut down, when the worst drunk says finally I'm stone, three men still hang painted badly from a leafless tree, you one of them, brains tied behind your back, swinging for your sin. Or you swing with goats and elk, doors of orphanages finally swing out, and here you open in. I mean, I love with you though, I mean, you said, oh, we're going to take an earthy turn, and I guess that's true, but because his imagery is very grounded in a specific sure. place but it's always an expression of emotion in a really free way like yeah there there are there are these <laughs> leaps and there i think i think all of his poems they there are these you know these images that come in these these surprising things and they form themselves sort of a pattern in the poem like something that needs to be yeah. kind of like stamped out like a fire that by the end is kind of you know like mashed and done you know like the like the orphans or the elk or, or oh, I whatever. Love them if you leap then if you weep then deer heads weep right, you right. know <laughs> which gives you yeah i mean i guess that's a i mean a deer head 
hanging on the wall in any any of the places you could imagine him being is a very <laughs> mundane image but then imagining yeah. one start to cry in sympathy with someone yeah is, is a whole and, it, and, thing. It, and it almost slips right <laughs> past you too the i mean the rhythm of it it's it's all almost like iambic sometimes and like the tension and the density of these poems like it's easy to 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 lose some of those really like you know shocking and and you know not quite surreal, but like almost magical images that are that are in there. Well, and that's I mean that's why I think he's such a great person for people who are starting out to be writers to read because it's not so obvious in your face, right? Uh, yeah, it's avant garde, but but he's doing no bullshit, like no <laughs> nonsense. There, but you then know? he's still doing some pretty bold things at the same time right. it just doesn't necessarily right. slap you in the face yeah there's like a subdued quality that that makes it like so much more admirable you know it's it's like there it's 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 there's no um i guess there's no pride in any of these things yeah. like you don't feel yeah. like oh this line is the star you yeah. know like you yeah. sometimes read poems and you're like oh uh-huh very nice you know, it's it's all it's all very very even-handed and level-headed and, and. But it doesn't feel. I think some people who would maybe be considered in his school of can feel kind of preachy or tie right. things up a lot at the end, and he never does that, right? He no, really. yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of uh, loose ends, and there there are a lot of his poems. You know, have these have these turns when you're where you're still trying to like you know you're still struggling to believe that like oh he's writing about this yeah, yeah and then you're midway through and it's 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 about something else but somehow related and it's it's very and they all they all just work they do you have a do you have another hugo album. poem for us i do i do i'm gonna do the lady in kicking horse reservoir oh yeah so um if that one wasn't the last one wasn't dark this one is definitely dark the Lady in Kicking Horse Reservoir Not my hands, but green across you now. Green tons hold you down and ten bass curve teasing in your hair. Summer slime will pile deep on your breast. Four months of ice will keep you firm. I hope each spring to find you tangled in those pads, pulled not quite loose by the spillway pour, Stars in dead reflection off your teeth. Lie there, lily still, the spillways closed. Two feet down, most lakes are common gray. This lake is dark from the black-blue mission range, climbing sky like music dying Indians once wailed. On ocean beaches, mystery fish are offered to the moon. Your jaws go blue. Your hands start waving every wind. Wave to the ocean where we crushed a mile of foam. We still love there in thundering foam and love. Whales fall in love with gulls and tide reclaims the dolly skeletons gone with a blast of aching horns to China. Landlocked in Montana here, the end is limited by light. The final note will trail off at the farthest point we see already faded lover where you bloat all girls should be nicer arrows rain above us in the indian wind 
My future should be full of windy gems. My past will stop this roaring in my dreams. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But the arrows sing. No way to float her up. The dead sink from dead weight. The mission range turns this water black late afternoons. One boy slapped the other, hard. The slapped boy talked until his dignity dissolved, screamed a single stop, and went down sobbing in the company pond. I swam for him all night. My only suit got wet, and factory hands went home. No one cared. The coward disappeared. Morning then, cold music I had never heard. Loners like work best on second shift. No one liked our product and the factory closed. Off south, the bison multiply so fast, a slaughter's mandatory every spring, and every spring the creeks get fat, and kicking horse fills up. My hope is vague, the far blur of your bones in May may be nourished by the snow. The spillways open and you spill out into weather, lover down the bright canal and mother irrigating crops dead Indians forgot to plant. I'm sailing west with arrows to dissolving foam where waves strand naked dollies. Their eyes are white as oriental mountains and their tongues are teasing oil from whales. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a monster full of imagery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... Whew. It just it, so many threads of like the Western mythos. Yeah. But it but fresh takes on it. Sure, at the same sure. Time. It's like, very uh <laughs> it, it 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 just his work it just tortures you. It's so good. And um you know, it just drags you by the hair, like through the whole like every detail. And you feel it all. You know, especially when you read it out loud. Yeah. No, it's good poetry to, to, to read and hear aloud. But yeah, but then you could easily, like, go back in and look at specific phrases that you right. almost don't get when you're just yeah, reading through. Yeah, and they... Yeah, you know, you can... Oops. You read them. You can read them over and over. And, um... Which is the best kind of poetry. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could read it again and again. For sure, for sure. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's funny, um... You know, how... I mean, it's not funny, but it's... It's interesting how, you know, when I was picking, like, my two poets out, how despairing, uh, Hugo is. Like, it, it is sad. You know, it is bleak. And then, you know, <laughs> Hannah Weiner, who's who suffers so much just through this the daily urban uh, landscape of her life filled with the words is, you know, so much more not, not upbeat or optimistic, but... Um, more playful, I guess, yeah. Playful, and, yeah. yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting how, um, you know, somebody who as a poet, you know, I mean, he was an alcoholic, but, like, who's, who as, as a person was, in general, just much more uh, sober, yeah. And, uh, you know, mindful, I don't know, uh, you know, just the the depths of, you know, how, how bleak it all, all seems. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, I don't know if, if, I mean, I hope Hugo is not a poem people may not have heard of, 
poet people may have not heard of, but still, it's good. It's yeah. good to uh, make sure if you I, haven't heard. I of just, Hugo I Lake. just wanted to make absolutely sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone, you has heard if of you them. don't, everyone, and if you even if you have, you should check out. <laughs> Make sure you've checked out all of his work. Not right. Just. The documentary is very uh, cool, too. Yeah, the, yeah. Kicking the Loose Gravel Home, which is on YouTube. Oh, okay. It I didn't is. know it was up there. That's it's up, good. It's, it's up on the YouTube, and everybody should should check that out, too. It's beautiful. Well, Beautifully nice. done. Nice. Magos, you want to give us another poet? I do have another poet. And I was re- I was just doing a little back back end research on this poet, and I discovered a poet that I want to read more of. Um, uh, this is a poet that is a French sound poet. So this is one of the things that, about the poems for the millennium that's so interesting to me about these collections is that, you know, there are there are like they put a lot of they curate this and they you know they put a lot of heavy hitters in here, but they also do it in galleries, you know, like these little ch- chapters that they call galleries and. It ends up being, you know, a little bit, a lot like galleries, because what you do is they bring you into the sections, and then within those sections they have these subsections, but they also sort of like bring you into like these sort of conscious, these sort of thoughts, and these little different poetry movements, you know, like Cobra and Concrete and and Beat Poets and stuff. But uh, in the end of the second, the volume two, there's a cool section that... uh, is, is is a really exploratory section. It's called Tortoise Cyber Poetics. And it's not all cyberpoetics, but it's like this kind of like, kind of like guidebook or like um, like a little introduction to like how we got there. You know what I mean? Or like pushing those directions and how we. Got I think there. it's I think it's funny though because they probably would not have used that term cyberpoetics any other time. That was just the one period of time when these yeah, came, came out that you would maybe use cyberpoetics. That sounds. <laughs> I'm gonna like go with it. I love it. Cyberpoetics. Um, yeah, this is like '98, right? So this is like yeah, cyberpoetics in cyberspace, <laughs> right? So like, let's see if these translate to, to radio. Um, but like, this is this poet who actually was uh, a French sound poet associated with you know uh, the beat movement, but also American fluxism and fluxus and minimalism. Uh, but he was born in Paris, and he was actually like the vice president of the Commerce Bank. Uh, his whole life, kind of like a huh. sort of like Wallace Stevens situation, where he's like has a day job, but but also was um, the president of the, the the commission of poetry, and he also uh, the cool thing is he um, he put on the first uh, sound poetry festival in Paris in 1976, and then in 1980 he put on another big sound poetry exhibition at the Pompidou. Cool. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. Which is cool to like think like, wow, the first the first sound poetry. So wait, what's his name? Did you say it? And Sorry. I just missed it. Bernard Heidsiek. Okay. Heidsiek, we'll say Bernard Heidsiek. You're gonna have to but look he does and this, see how that's spelled because. Well, I tried H I D S I E C K. I tried looking up the pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he does these 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 um, sort of like found poems. I guess they're like um, on Canal Street, and there's a little there's a little. Even though it's not Canal Street, New Orleans, we're going to read it because I think it's kind of cute. It's New, it's New York, but the note is Canal Street um, uh, are part of a series of 50 writings collages made on boards in 1974, starting with a series of transistor radios found or ne- for next to nothing. Just old transistors in Canal Street, New York. Two years later, I decided to create a reading for and by the tape recorder, starting from these 50 writing collages. These 50 texts associated with old transistors on boards 
the 50 boards and 50 texts merge via mixing into 35 readings. Yeah. So there's some right. really collage work that was yeah. like found through some recording thing. So wait, so he made the collage works and then he Years used those later, to create the recordings. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. So this is Canal Street 3314. Flakes not of the fabric, but of words, a fabric of words, scraps, remnants, rejects, exiles lost, expelled limps, corpses, parcels, recuperated, shabby packets. For what end? For what end? Flakes, drastic cuts of words of words, old bores, gray, old writing, packed up, profitless. Recuperation? But for what end? Preserved. One never knows. But for what end? Placed in packets. Conserved. But why? For what end? If only I knew, you knew, he knew, she knew, we knew, you knew, they knew? Can one ever know? Set aside, set in reserve, as a pledge, as security? One never knows. Why worry? Why not? Indeed, hoard upwards. Protect this raw material. Peerless. Indestructible. Dependability. More or less guaranteed. Useful for all purposes. Does one ever know? Unless unless there's some ulterior motive there of conspiracy, of deception, of robbery, or of speculation. Unless the transistor is set beside these flakes, these embryonic phases of the sky for better days. But to what end? Once again, for what purpose? For what end? And that he should leave the others, all the others, which others? To flow, to pass, to rush, to race by on this right or left, indifferently or blind, time will tell. All these flakes, embryonic founderings, fallings in these many refugees placed there by whose, by whose hands? And finally, for what purpose? For what end? Is this by chance? By some breakdown in time? In the machine? How can one tell? Surging there, settling there, like that, as an effect of the, as an effect of the, and then that's all. Was this at all useful? Was it all really? Zero. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder what his composition method was on that. Yeah. So I hear, I hear like, I hear advertising coming through. Yeah. I hear like sure. some echo of yeah. like an app yeah, or something probably, like, yeah. you know, like some transistor, maybe recording of like an ad or a radio, and he's like pulling from this like conversation that's going on, but also maybe from an ad. Yeah. There's there's kind of an introductory sort of feel to it too. Like, who are we? Why are we here? Does one ever know? <laughs> I like Tonight, the, like, you know, yeah, like... Flakes not of the fabric, but of words, a fabric of words, scraps, remnants. Like, it seems like he's he's not only using the scraps, the remnants from the fabric, the flakes, but he's but he's talking about them. Yeah. So it's, like, yeah. it's very meta, but it's also, like, maybe... Well, yeah, I was wondering if he's, fabric. like, part of it is descriptive of the collage, too. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I think so, yeah. It was very, like, talking about itself while it was happening. Or maybe it was just him pulling like this chance, these chance recordings, or whatever they were. I don't know. Was it like he didn't, didn't say it's found? He said he used the recordings. Well, I don't know. But it was. Yeah, it's a series of writings and collages made on boards with a series of yeah, but that's why radios I, that's, found. So that's maybe why turn the radios on. And well, that'd be cool. That maybe yeah. that could be part of it. I wasn't thinking that they. I thought it was like pieces of the radio that he had made the collages with, and I wasn't imagining that he's partially looking at it, describing what he sees, but then also pulling out words and things that have 
or in the collage. I, I don't know. I think he was using the, the the what he heard on the transistor radios. I mean, that'd be cool. Maybe but not. Maybe that's just how I pick up. That would be cool. I don't <laughs> know though. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've never heard of him. Yeah. Never heard that's of him. neat. That's what I think. You know, that's what I was just saying. It's nice about these poems from Millennium Book because there's a bunch of these one-hit wonders, or they're not even one-hit wonders. They're just like they're these people that these that that the curators of these books have have read and have picked up on enough mm-hmm. to place them in these little galleries. It's nice. Yeah, they exemplify the little you know. Yeah, the little thematic little micro things. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool. those are great books. Joseph, you've got one. All more. right, last poet. Last poet. Um. And Caroline, your fiance David Rowe and Peter Anderson gave me this book for my birthday one that, year. Wasn't that nice of them? It was. <laughs> <laughs> but this is Albert Goldbarth, and he's pretty neat. And I don't think that many people know about him. I wouldn't say that he's obscure. I think he's a he's had a pretty long poetry career, but he's one of those people who falls through the cracks for some reason. Um, I mean, he's published a lot of books. He's I know he's got. He's got over 12 books of, of poetry and essays. Um, but, you know, I don't know what to say his poetry is like necessarily. So this this is his selected poems, and it's called The Kitchen Sink, and it's kind of accurate because you can kind of find almost oh anything in his poetry, <laughs> right? Um, he kind of has this reputation for being a research poet, of of researching a lot of things and putting that in there and there's definitely some poems in here that are kind of historical or scientific topics and i think that's what people remember but there's more personal poems in there too Uh, and then i was looking at an interview with him and he did say well yeah he researches some of them and he's he's got all these scraps of paper that he kind of as he hears different things or reads different things he just has all these scraps he can pull from but then he also said, but sometimes the ones people think are research poems, I just made the stuff up. <laughs> I so. was waiting for that. Oh, <laughs> but great, he's though. got some neat poems. I, you know, uh, and I'm going to say right now, I am not going to claim that these are representative him in any way because that would be almost impossible, right? But I picked some ones that I found amusing. Uh, but there's there's all kinds of different, different writings. Oh, well, and I picked this one, Magos, because... It's his Houdini poem. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> I thought you might like that. Houdan. And it's got a little uh, epigraph. Succeeded very well in his first attempt, with the exception that he ruined a gentleman's chapeau while performing the trick of the omelet in the hat from Magic and its Professors. Sometimes summer rain makes sky a closing iron maiden. You know it. You've been there. Remember? Your lover's whole body, a great reproachful finger. Then later, your eight hours as a grief tester goes into overtime. And just to get through a day unbroken is a real trick. So now you understand. I've done my famous, the hippopotamus in the bathtub. I've done Zeus's nosegay. Once I even did ten hundred gnats and the floating crystal, all without a hitch. So look, it happens. You who have done the man and the woman, the burning crepe, the well-loved, the child out of the flesh, the dawn sun doubled in your eyes. I know you'll forgive the sodden chapeau. Besides, I promised you something marvelous. There's an omelet in your hat, sir. That is amusing. Yeah. It's great. That's perfect. (laughs) It is great. It's like the perfect little poem. And in a bit of a different vein and a little bit longer. That would... 
Oh, yeah, yeah. No, well, because we're doing like a Houdini. You know, yeah. the, well, I might use that for this Houdini project we're doing, you know? Well, and all those things are capitalized. Like, they're the names of tri- magic tricks, right? Totally. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be funny. It'd be funny to if somebody <laughs> could paint that scene. The omelet, the omelet and the hat trick scene. The omelet and the hat trick. <laughs> I wonder what that sounds like. That sounds like. like a good magic trick. All right, one more from him, though, in a totally different vein, but... You should check. You just have to read this book because he's all over the place. This one's called Remain Song. The penis is gone. The penis of even Tyrannosaurus Rex is gone. The hardest of them all is only oleo to time and disappears with the tongue and the brain and its beehive of thought and the portentous vaginal lips and their promise vanished, enzymatically, molecularly gone. Although the bone that anchored the penis retractor muscle is a small rib in the towering vaulted domed cathedral of dinosaur infrastructure that remains, and by its telltale osseous presence, we can clarify our muddy paleobiological guesses at Cretaceous sex. The jazz man's breath is gone, but the saddle of callus is still intact on the cadaver's lips, a fossil of pain, of fucked-up, pimp-down pain, and of the rapture when we're blown like smoke rings out of ourselves at 4 a.m. in cellar light and sweat until there's no ourselves, there's only a haze on the stage. The rapist is gone, but his signature DNA remains in the bloody wads beneath her fingernails. The physicist is gone, but light remains. Its relativity and speed remain, confounding us anew like the thwack of a barrel stave against our heads each morning. The marriage is gone, but the baby is seven pounds three ounces and screaming its shitty little petal pretty skull off in the bedroom. When the atmosphere is left below, the air still sishes out of the 747's overhead nozzles. Then something goes wrong. The plane is an untranslatable scatter of metal debris and burnt flesh, but the black box is an eloquence. The flint tool is proof of the hand that wielded it. The hand is only so many atoms of carbon now, some water and a coppery ancestral taste when we're licking each other's bodies. And the moment of conception of the universes becoming the universe, 20 billion of units we call years ago, is lost. Although the scream of this, the fire of this, the pattern, and the radial awayness, these are life as we move through it daily. As we move through it daily, we're always somewhere gone. House dust is 70% shed human skin, and what we breathe in is a whiff of the extinguished. Here in Dinosaur Hall, our detective hero is woefully bamboozled. Someone's stolen a famous thigh bone the size of a Greyhound bus. And though this room is nothing but structured evidential testimony to life formed from millennia back and posed with a seeming immediacy of centerfolds, he can't find one hard clue to a felon whose history was only 60 minutes. Later that night, alone at home, he lists the facts repeatedly. Of course alone. You're happy, you're together, then something goes wrong. He knows that now. He studies her empty half of the closet. Eerily, aren't those hangers something like the wire a museum dioramacist fashions a torso around? He studies her porcelain coffee cup, still here in the sink, her lip print on its rim. To him, her cyst was extradition to another world, another world in where it's archaeology, it's ongoing Ur or Assyria. She's with God now, the priest said, frowning, as if God were a boy toy neighbor she decided to run off with. 
And what was that one called? Remain. The Remain song. The Remain song. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> those those long uh, lines are really uh, really something. I mean, you know, I love that. I still love that poem. But it do, the ending is a little too neat for me. But <laughs> right. there's so much great stuff going on in the meantime. All the connection. I mean, just to have all these different ideas of things that are traces of things. that it, He does such a good job with that. And then I like it turning into a more personal thing. But then maybe the end is a little too neat for me. But I don't know. His poems are like that. It's like even the ones that I don't think are entirely successful, there's so much great stuff in it that it's yeah, still it's, it's fun to read and there's packed, yeah packed in yeah yeah there's this kind of like unravely feeling yeah you like kind of i don't know if there's like just like magicians are in my head but like pulling the scarf it just keeps no it is and coming and like coming. That. you didn't tell me that yeah. the first one you read was from the section called the fossil of an omelet did you say that uh, no I, I didn't say that <laughs> That's the section that's that the, the first, perfect like the uh, fossil of an marriage of the two. <laughs> the, fossil the fossil of an album. Yeah, it's got both poems in it. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> Well, I don't know. I think that was a pretty great series of six poets. Yeah, there. yeah. That's like I, I, all that kind of went around pretty nice. So check out yeah. some poets you haven't checked out. Um, and Carolyn, thank you for joining us today. I think you have a reading coming up. I do don't you? have a reading at the Ladder Library at two o'clock on August fourth. It'll be myself and Lee Gru and Linda Lee and em- Lenny Emmanuel. So, so I think come. this episode will we'll come out will that be morning. Out that morning or early in the morning, like it'll come out like later today. So, so if you just if Later you listen today. to this right after this episode, post at get up, put on your pants, one oh one, yeah, in the car. Just well, you can wait a little bit if you're listening to it at one one oh one a.m. That's when it goes out one oh one that morning. One oh one. Okay. Well, um, but you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> have that in your plan for the day. The latter, the latter series is always a good reading. If you're a listener, you heard what we did a little recording. We played a little recording from there a little while back. And then go see Caroline read. Yeah, and if you're, um, I guess if you're attending the Ladder Library reading series, you can also join us for the podcast. Listen to this podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't understand how that would work. Well, you know, tell, like... you could tell your, you could tell people coming to the reading to listen to this right. podcast. Okay. So yeah. guess what? If you're, if you just attending Caroline's reading, congratulations. Okay. And now you've ended up here listening to the podcast as well. And thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay, that could work. <laughs> yes. Hope, hope it was good. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for Thanks joining for us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. And this has been another Six Poets You May Not Have Heard Of. See you next week.